Welcome to All Mixed Up, a podcast. I'm Kayla. I'm a college student and I'm finishing up my first year. I personally identify as biracial because my mom is white and my dad is black. And I feel like identifying with both races has helped shape the person that I am today. And I'm Lennox and I'm also a first year and I'm my dad is black and my mom is white. So I'm also biracial. Um, and which box do you fill out? Um, when I fill out forms, I either will select other or I will click black and white if it gives me the option. So it gives you. Yeah, I usually will pick um, black if it doesn't because I usually don't find the ones with other. Um, OK, so jumping into it, this we are starting off with a quote from Halle Berry. She says, being a mixed race child, I didn't always see color in people. I really didn't. It was other people that made me see the color all the time. Um, so this podcast will help to further shine a light on this issue as mixed race people are often labeled by others before they have the chance to share their labels. Um, so for this podcast, we'll be discussing issues specifically relating to people of mixed race. These issues are often looked over and it is common for someone to assume that the problems of a biracial individual are interchangeable with those of a black individual. Um, black issues are debated now more than ever. And with that, it becomes more apparent that biracial people do not have a platform to stand on. So this podcast will provide the very platform needed to voice the concerns and opinions of biracial-specific topics. So also something we looked at prior to making this podcast was um, an activist named Audre Lorde. Um, she was a part of an interracial couple, um, and she sort of described a phenomenon that most biracial people have dealt with at some point during their lives, um, where they find themselves part of some group in which the majority defines them as deviant, inferior, or just plain wrong because they don't quite fit in with one specific group. And sort of just to define some of the key terms that we're going to be using in our discussion today, um, we referenced Michael Omi's essay entitled Racial Formation in the United States. And one of the major underpinnings of this podcast is sort of this idea of racial formation and the creation of a racial identity. As we know, race is a social construct, but it's also prone to different shifts and transformations depending on which historical period we're in. Uh, for instance, during slavery and even into the 20th century, people of mixed race were referred to as mulattoes or mestizos. But over time, that term has sort of shifted to multiracial, biracial, or mixed race. Oftentimes, race can be sort of a point of marginalization in the U.S., but it can also serve as a point of unity between individuals. Um, it is also important, though, to note it, that race formation in the U.S. is often based on this harmful practice of othering, which Omi describes in his essay, this term just basically indicates that any race or gender that doesn't align with the ideal American, which is a straight white male, is an other, essentially a group that is not worthy of a name. Mm -hmm. And this typically throughout history is extended to black people, women, black women specifically, and people of mixed race. But sort of an interesting thing to note is that mixed race people today are still asked to fill out other on some forms. Um, and I'm sure that'll come up at some point in the discussion today. Mm -hmm. That's very good. Um, earlier, Kayla and I mentioned which box we would fill out on the government forms um, for race, like she just talked about. So talking about the U.S. Census, for example, the option to mark one or more race was only recently adopted in the year 2000. Um, prior to that, for the last 100 years or so, the census has only accepted monoracial submissions. Um, and if, if a form was marked in two areas, it would be recategorized into whichever race was penciled in more firmly. Um, so in the essay that we mentioned earlier, racial formation in the United States, the 1920 census stipulated that, quote, any mixture of white and some other race was to be reported according to the race of the person who was not white, end quote. Uh, it's crazy to think that for decades, the mere legal identification of being biracial was considered taboo. 
Um, so we can only hope that in the near future we could have a multiracial box to fill in while still maintaining the protected status as if we were monoracial. Completely agree. Um, in this podcast, we will also discuss um, a specific case study in the meaning of former President Barack Obama's choice to identify as a black man. Um, when a lot of people do know that his mom is white and his dad is black. Uh, it is important to note, though, that throughout his life, people only saw him as black. Um, and that's sort of just evidenced through people hurling racial insults at him or following him through department stores to ensure that he hadn't stolen anything. Um, it is also important to take into consideration the power and credibility that Obama gained with the black community just by solely identifying with them. Um, and throughout the course of this podcast, we will further explore the topics that we just mentioned, specifically related to racial formation and in the multiracial identity as well as the specific manifestations of these social concepts in everyday life and the media. Perfect, let's get into it. Okay, so we're gonna go ahead and get started. So um, we're gonna start by asking people to introduce themselves. So I'm asking for them to give their name, year in college, um, ethnicity. And then we're asking under, on the government forms under race and ethnicity section of the documents, we're asking which box they would fill out, whether that be black, white, or other. So, go ahead. Um, my name's Jamie Milton. I'm a first year and I'm Nigerian, Native American, Irish, and German. And then I on the boxes, I check off white, black, and Native. Um, hi, I'm Paul. I'm also first year. I am uh, black and white, and I also mark it off on um, government forms. Hi, I'm Elise. She, her pronouns. I'm a sophomore here at the college, um, and I um, am mixed race. Um, I identify as like a mixed race black woman, um, and uh, I'm mixed with both white and um, Afro-Latino, Dominican heritage. Um, and so on the boxes, I'll usually check white, black, um, or sometimes other, because they don't really give you good options. <laughs> okay, so sort of going off of that and moving into our first question, we're going to talk about any sort of personal experiences that you may have had, whether it be positive or negative, um, just sort of relating to your identities or being biracial. Um, so I'll start off specifically for me, I would say, being biracial is like, it's, it's a tough area to navigate, I think, at times, because you have a lot wider of a community to identify with because, you like, for me specifically, I'm half black, half white, so I identify with the black community as well as the white community, and I think there's a lot of acceptance because I've grown up in both circles, but at the same time, I think it's also easier to also be rejected by more people because sometimes, like, if you're with members of the white community, for instance, they might be okay saying certain things to appeal almost to your white side, like saying things about like the black community that could be harmful, but like they're looking at you as a white person for that moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I've sort of experienced the same thing with the black community as well. Um, like things being said about white people and just sort of not really like good things that were said and just sort of hearing that as someone who still does identify as white to a degree, I think sometimes can be tough to navigate. So if you guys have similar experiences, it can be positive, it can be negative, anything you want to share. So, yeah, so um, I am actually adopted. And so I'm in a family of two loving dads. Um, one is white, one is black. And I have a younger sibling who is also black. 
Um, and so just kind of a very different familial structure than a lot of people are used to. Um, and I think that that has also impacted my relationships and also my relationship to race because I don't have that um, same ancestral ties to race, um, especially when it comes to my um, like Latina like heritage. Um, I like am more like socialized and a more generational African-American experience. But um, so that's pretty different. And um, for me, understanding the difference between race and ethnicity has been a huge um, like uh, part of my life. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of like what you were saying, too, in feeling um, accepted by different communities, I've never really felt accepted by the white community. I don't think I've ever. Um, I'm also from Vermont, which is very white. Mm-hmm. And so I've very much never felt like even my like proximity to whiteness has like allowed me to be a part of the white community. Um, and so kind of being told you're not white enough, you're not black enough, like in the middle, it feels like you're not enough. And I feel like um, I've been able to reframe like the way that I think about it and being like confident in my own identity has been a huge impact. But I think it's also fair. We talk about mixed problems, but I also do want to like acknowledge like the fact that um, also being mixed like does give you approximate whiteness and it does allow for like I mean like issues of colorism are very real especially in the black community um, and I think that like as like as I also like acknowledge my identity I also want to acknowledge the privilege that I have with that. <laughs> um, okay um, excuse me um, I found personally that um, well to reference uh, I grew up in a town that was 90% white in Ohio, where um, I was mostly just, I was mostly just being viewed by white people, and they just, I'm not sure if they saw me as black or mixed or what, however they saw me, but they saw me as not them, is the most important thing, I think. But as, but just due to the fact my proximity to them, I was raised kind of in a very white traditional sense. So I was raised to think of myself as being part of one of them, but really you can kind of realize that they don't see you like that. But on the other hand, it's also sometimes hard to interact with other black people because I just also was not exposed to much black culture growing up. And that kind of shaped my view of or is kind of being a more divisive factor and one that kind of brings people together. Yeah, um, growing up, I feel like hmm, not necessarily my identity has, like how I identify has changed, just kind of more so like what I pay attention to more. Growing up, I grew up with a lot of other Black or mixed kids or um, Hispanic kids, and I always just saw myself as Black, Um, even though I literally knew I had a white mom. um, I just, I feel like I just have, um, to other people, I don't look white. I feel like I I get like Hispanic or I get um, just mixed too. Um, and then I kind of realized that, you know, I'm not just black and that I'm mixed. And I kind of, that was kind of like in middle school. And then once I got to high school, I think I just started, I still identify as mixed, but like, I just identify with my black side more. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank you for sharing. Um, I would agree with that. I would say growing up for me was definitely predominantly white. So I remember in fifth grade, people would pull my hair, not pull my hair, but just ask if it was real and just like make jokes about it being a wig, stuff like that. Um, in middle school, I dressed white, act white, you know, and then I wasn't, I was never really exposed to black culture. 
and my mom was a teacher at my middle school and she's white so people thought I was adopted um all these things but I think now I definitely I agree with Jamie I identify more with my black side more than ever because I recognize that when people look at me that's the first thing that they'll see so I'm not gonna it's just easier for me to identify with that more um but yeah thank you for sharing um the next question I have is do people tend to categorize biracial I guess leading into what I was saying do people categorize biracial as simply being black or have people ever asked, told you that you talk at dress white yeah <laughs> sure um so I would say for me um definitely like I'm someone who like I've never really fully identified as black I've always just said biracial and mixed um identifying as both always um but I have always like if people see me like they see my hair or they see my skin tone it's always like like people see black first so I totally get like the need to um have that I guess validation and identifying yourself that way too um I think sort of gives power to that um and in terms of how people like will say like also like a lot of you guys said I went to a high school that was diverse same thing with my middle school but there was still a large population of white people um and I did get more so from like black people or Hispanic people a lot of times like you're acting or dressing white and I guess I don't know I don't really know what that statement means I still don't it's still like a tough thing for me to sort of like interpret what they're saying um but that's definitely something like what does it mean to I guess like white or like speak white like I don't know I feel like it sort of gives power in a way that's like not deserved like I think black people Hispanic people like people who don't identify as white like they're just just as intelligent they're just as smart as just as well spoken so I don't really see I guess the need to designate how a certain group of people acts. so that's just my personal thoughts on that yeah I definitely think that it's like problematic in the way that we say you act white or act black um but um I do think um like at least me personally I feel like um people People have not really said that. Um, in in my case, I think that um, being like part of like in Vermont, like people were just very afraid to even like talk about race, mm -hmm. um, and so I think that like categorizing people based on that was not um, as much of um, my experience. Um, but I do think that people um, like would tend to like categorize biracial people as black. I mean, historically in the United States, um, the one drop rule um, has been used um, to identify people as black. So if you have any blackness in any part of your history, mm -hmm. you are black. And I think that now um, with like a more worldly conception of race, um, we are potentially like changing that a little bit. We have more specific like ethnic, um, like also, I feel like ethnicity has become like a bigger uh, part of the conversation as well. Mm -hmm. um, but like in America, that is like a very big part of the story. Um, and um, yeah, and I think me personally, I don't think I could pass as white. Um, and so I think that I've always identified more with being black because that's also how like how I've been perceived by other people. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so based on where I grew up, kind of the whole, the whole mentality there was it's mostly white. So they kind of just viewed, there wasn't really an acting, dressing, or speaking white. That really was just their reality. They didn't need to say that it was white. It just was their way, and they were the majority of the town. So, I mean, I think there was still a way to act, dress, speak, or, like, sound black. 
but there wasn't really a way to sound way because that was just a norm. So, but I, but either way, I don't. For someone who's black or like minority there, I really don't think you could act white enough to be able to like escape any kind of racism or really affect the way that you're perceived, just based on like your image or how you look. I think that's enough to really relegate you to the not white category. Um. So in middle school, when I realized like I'm not just black, I feel like there was like a shift in how just like what I surrounded myself with. And then also growing up, I feel like, yeah, in my family, there was a huge loss, like culture. And like my mom did not know how to do my hair. My dad, even though he was black, did not know how to do my hair. So I feel like um, I took on a journey in middle school, like finding out like how to like, you know, take care of myself as being like a mixed kid, but then also kind of losing touch with it at the same time. And I don't know really how to describe that, but um, I definitely saw myself kind of being more accepted by white kids in the beginning of middle school. And I guess that's just... I don't know. And then eighth grade, um, like, like, uh, my friends and I, I started to have more black friends then. And then I remember we had an encounter with a bunch of white, um, kids that kind of stopped that, um, little pit stop I took, um, experimenting with like the white side of myself, um, and more so heavily like identifying as black, um, just like overall, um, just like a group of white boys was calling my friends and I just the N word, um, having a lot of conflict with us. Continued to call us like slaves as well. And then when we brought it to the counselor's office, um, my city is predominantly Portuguese and I feel like it's very clicky. And they try to turn it around and say that we were kind of like bullying them. And I'm not sure to this day how that makes sense, but, um, yeah. Uh, I feel like I lost track of the question, um, <laughs> but yeah, and then high school as well. I feel like I was still kind of on that um, white black adventure, though. I feel like now, before people would say I was whitewashed, and now I'm not. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of unfair for people to put that label on myself. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. I'm sorry about that. It's, it's, it's just terrible. But yeah, I agree. Just having to, um, with a white mom, I didn't have anyone to do my hair like that or anything. So, and my dad wasn't really there mm -hmm. for that. So just having to teach yourself and like figure, learn to love my own hair and not style, how to style it correctly, you know, that was like a whole journey. Um, and then I guess another question is um, if people have ever felt uh, ashamed or almost like imposter syndrome for having mixed race, and I can lead with my experience in middle school was rough. And I remember going to my dad one day, like in tears, like, I was like, people were saying I act white and I don't know. And am I white? I don't know what's going on. And I was so confused. So, and he just talked through that with me. Like what you said, Kayla, like, what does that mean to act or dress white? Like, why is that a coin term that only applies to white people? And I don't know. I think I went through a moment too, where I didn't feel black enough so I almost didn't want to immerse myself in black culture because I felt like I couldn't relate to it because I wasn't black enough um 
but then I don't know you just kind of overcome that and learn to love who you are but yeah um I'll sort of share my thoughts sort of similar to what Lennox said like it's almost this idea of like you're not quite enough for either group um it's almost like you're not black enough but you're not white enough either um so I don't know it's a very tough thing I feel like imposter syndrome is just something that like I've dealt with because of my identity for like so long it's sort of just always been there like subtly um, I feel like in elementary school like I didn't notice like to me it was just like I have a white mom and a black dad so it's just like I saw it like I didn't really notice as much like the color of my friends or certain things um but like I became more aware of that in middle school and then in high school I think just sort of once I realized that it's sort of like oh I don't quite fit in here or there it's like it's like a weird like I could fit in but I don't quite exactly fit in with either um and I think that's sort of, it's sort of an interesting dynamic since coming to college, like going to a more selective college. I think there's a huge sense of imposter syndrome at colleges like that. And I think it's sort of weird, like coming here and being like, all of a sudden, like a lot of people are experiencing imposter syndrome for the first time in terms of academics. But I'm like, this is something I've dealt with my whole life. So at the same time, it's sort of like, it's sort of sad to think about like coming here and like feeling imposter syndrome in terms of academics or college level rigor. I think isn't new and I'm that's sort of sad like to know as like a mixed race person like wow that's something I've had to deal with so long and so many people are just experiencing it for the first time that makes sense yeah I think that like being mixed has made me super like um I think this is partially being mixed but also being black is being very hyper aware of like social dynamics of people think of you and like as I was like you know considering like like what like what race am I like race is a social construct um and like in a lot of ways it's been manipulated by people in power to mean certain things um at different times for whatever reason that they want Mm -hmm. um and so I think that like um I was impacted a lot by like what other people viewed me as um and then that like made it hard for me to have like a personal identity around race um, and so um, letting other people define who I am is never a good idea if mm-hmm. in any way, shape or form. But like, that's kind of what you're that's kind of what you do when it comes to, to race in some ways. It, it, it is about like how you look and you don't really get to decide that. Um, and so I think that like imposter syndrome is definitely a factor into it. But like that's also like, um, I think a product of like having to be so aware of other people's opinions or thoughts. Um, yeah, so I never really had to deal with imposter syndrome from a sense because once again, the very white town, it kind of was pretty quick to just say, yeah, you're not one of us. So I never, they didn't really need to make it more clear. And I wasn't really around enough black people to really have to hear, to really be able to hear more input like more not being black enough from that side it was really kind of just once again that i was seen by a lot of white my white peers as not being one of them and kind of you know just being used as sometimes it feels like a black token character in their lives yeah um i wouldn't say growing up i felt imposter syndrome like necessarily um i just feel like as someone who was like becoming a teenager or just like my early teenage years, I was just more like vulnerable and like to being like, um, I guess exploited is the word or just feeling like dirty. Like when like my white friends would like 
try to use me as I remember one time one of my white friends um was talking about how white people should say the n-word and she was trying to have me agree and I was just like what is going on like why are you so yeah I definitely had those token moments um and another similar feeling I guess yeah um I remember during Visitas um I was scared of dressing a certain way because I guess you could say I like dress stereotypically like black or like my style is just like black girl and I just didn't want to be seen in like a negative way and I remember literally like looking in my closet and being like what can I wear that like won't make me get like negatively portrayed so yeah so our next question I'm just gonna give a little bit of background before um, I ask the question so recently um, I think it might have been October November Mariah Carey came out with this interview she's done a couple um, in the past some with Meghan Markle who's also mixed race both of them are mixed race um, specifically about hair. So they describe this sort of phenomenon where they had white friends who do things like brush their hair and just leave or find hair treatments that easily worked for them. Um, and the similar phenomenon they noticed with their black friends, they had, if they went to the store, there were certain hair products that worked specifically for like coily or natural hair. Um, so I guess like, did you guys ever feel growing up that your hair should look a certain way, maybe more towards the white side, the black side, however you want to look at that? Um, or how important overall is hair to you just in general? Um, and does it ever cause any conflict or confusion for you guys? Yeah, uh, so my hair, um, I mean, like, the, the whole, like, hair type sometimes is, like, a little arbitrary, but I'm, like, between 3BTC, um, <laughs> uh, depends on the time, um, and I think that, like, in a lot of ways, like, my hair, like, I'm, I'm a bit, like, lighter skin, so I feel like my hair has been, like, one of the things that, like, people point out to be, like, oh, like, you're not white <laughs> like um and I mean here here in school someone said you know like you, maybe like you could look white if you straightened your hair and I was like I don't think that's true <laughs> I think if you looked at a picture of me my hair straightened you would not say the same thing but um it is interesting because it's like hair is such a big defining factor as to like what um like how people perceive you um in terms of your racial identity um and so um like like I was saying, like my hair journey has been a lot. I don't, I'm still like, you know, working to find that perfect routine. Um, but I think that, you know, part of also having two dads, I think that women have a lot of pressure to have like good, like nice hair and like keep that maintained. And that's been really important to me in terms of like self care, but I've been coming at it pretty blind. Um, that's not something that like, um, my papa, um, who is black, um, like he, Definitely when I was younger, like, he helped out. Um, but, like, there's a limit to that. And so um, I really had to, like, figure that out myself. And I think that that's been, like, um, one of the, fine, like, the big foundational factors. Uh, I also remember back in, like, middle school and elementary school, all the sleepovers and braid trains. I don't know if you know what those are. Like, people would, like, yeah. braid their hair. And then they would always be like, oh, Elise, can you go in the back? Because there's no way that we can do your hair. And that was just kind of, like, what always happened every time. And I feel like, um, so, like, as, like, me, my self-love journey, I guess, I think hair has been a really important factor. Um, but it's also been a very key factor for, like, my racial identity. Um, yeah, I've had a complicated relationship with my own hair as well. Um, I haven't cut my hair in over uh, about four and a half years, I like to say. Just because I could never find a good enough barber. So, um, also, just kind of 
But having like long hair that's obviously black does I'd have to say contribute to a lot or like probably most of the racism I face. Like I've had people back in like middle school like grab and yank at my hair like they were trying to start a lawnmower. And one time I had a I had someone I knew from uh, sports said that he wanted to forcefully shave all my hair off, and um, I kind of just always was very large in hair that I was black and that people were going to see me as differently and some people my hair like visibly angered them just because of how it looked or how like it visibly like set me apart from them yeah like I said earlier um my mom did not know how to do my hair like no matter how many slick backs she did like there was no gel in there the hair the curls were not popping (laughs) and then my dad just also did not know um I do have an older sister though and she did not get the jeans. Like, I'm surprised I got, like, at least a little jeans from our dad. He's a, yeah. Um, but still, my sister has, like, curly hair as well. And I remember growing up, I would always, like, just steal her products. And then when she would do my hair and put the products in, I would be, like, super happy. Um, I just have, like, a lot of hair stories, actually. Um, I can think for, like, one second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um oh yeah okay so and then sophomore year high school um I unwill okay yeah growing up I also struggled finding someone to do my hair I remember seventh grade I wanted my hair straightened um not just I, would, I just wanted it straightened no like I love my curls um and I remember trying to find someone I did not really know anywhere to go with like a black person to do my hair. I remember my mom wanted to bring me down to the street to supercuts. And I was just like, because they wanted to, the way they wanted to cut my hair was actually no. Um, and it was really hard to find someone. And I was like, it shouldn't be that difficult. Um, so, yeah. And then I cut my hair high school. And ever since then, I feel like I've had a really good journey. But um yeah, I've been trying out a lot of styles and my dad did not like when I straightened my hair when I was younger because he would try to say that I wanted to be white by doing that. But then he also has a thing against protective styles. So that was just very difficult to navigate. But now I feel like I'm doing that. But yeah, hair has played like a very large role in identity for me. Same for me. I've had a long journey with my hair. I think in middle school, I would always, I don't know, it was a mess. When I, when I was little, elementary, middle school, like they, wherever I went, they would like straighten my hair and then cut it, mm-hmm. which never, <laughs> Yeah, that's just thinking back, but I didn't know any better. But thinking back, I'm like, that makes no sense. But yeah, she would always just straighten my hair and then cut it dry. And then I just, I remember just spending hours just doing research, YouTube and stuff, just like curly hair. How do I take care of it myself? Like, that was my own journey I had to do. And so I, you learn about like dry cutting, which I do now. And it just makes sense. Like cut your hair the way it is naturally. And it's, it's perfect. But yeah. So just figuring out like products to use and like what type of silicones, like don't put silicones in your hair, like all these different things that I needed to figure out. And it, I remember the first time I got like a real haircut and in middle school <laughs> and it just changed my life and it was crazy. And I loved my hair so much. And I loved like myself after that. And so since then, I've just been trying new stuff and, you know, school now, I don't have much time, but I want to get back into, that was like a big, that was like my thing. I love like researching hair, like whenever I had free time and just like figuring out new stuff. So yeah, it was important for me. No, I definitely agree. Like, I think for me, it was like, 
like definitely like you said athletics like going to the hair stylist and like your hair being straightened first and then cut dry yeah. and I'm like what was that <laughs> <laughs> what was that but yeah no I mean it's I don't know it's just like and especially like my hair um it's like very much a mix like I very have very much mixed hair I've been told that a lot <laughs> it's just like so it's sort of hard like in some spots it's straighter and some spots it's super curly and super tight and hard to manage um so I don't know I think just sort of like a big thing for me sort of similar to what like Mariah Carey had voiced her concerns about a lot was just like finding hair products that worked because sometimes like um products for natural coily hair didn't work or products for straight or wavy hair didn't work so I remember, especially when I was younger, like, my mom, shout out to my mom, she always um, did, like, a bunch of research on, like, what hair products work well, and there's a lot of, like, oils and things like that. Um, then just sort of seeing, like, I think over the past, like, 10 years or so, like, now there's hair products for people with mixed hair. Mm-hmm. And I think sort of seeing that progression, like, for, like, 10 years ago, that wasn't really a thing. Like, no one was really thinking about it. And, like, instead, I was just sitting at the store, like, what do I buy, you know? <laughs> and now I think it's just such a relief to know, like, I can go to the hairstylist and my hair can be cut as is and... I can find hair products that work for my hair specifically, or I can combine based off of just, like you said, Lennox, just doing all this research and everything when I have free time, so. Yeah, I agree. I love that. Over, I do agree. Over the last decade, mm-hmm. there have been so many new lines opening, like Pattern, Diva Curl. Like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's great. Because I think back when I was little and the products I used when I was little, and those weren't right, but it's all we had at the time. So it's great, the biracial lines now. Um, okay, so shifting gears, I think, now just asking about we're going to talk about obama (laughs) just as like a mixed race man who is known as america's first black president just thoughts about that and how a little sub question is like is it easier to identify with one race over another we read some research before this podcast um about obama and his campaign and it's just talking about how for him you almost have more of an effect identifying with the black community in a position of power rather than identifying with the biracial community like one holds more weight than another so just thoughts about that um I can start off on that so I don't know it's a very it's a very tough it's a very tough thing I don't know um I think there's definitely like I think it's intentional to choose obviously to identify as black solely um considering he was very close to his mom who was white um I think I don't know like I think he chose to identify that way because like a lot of people saw him that way and I think that's completely fair that's completely valid like um and some of the research we had done before like he um sort of describes like being followed in stores because like he looks a certain way or something like that so people always labeled him as that first so it was almost easier for him to sort of um identify that way and connect with the community who could relate to shared experiences like that um I do think I don't know I think it's tough because like it's hard to, I think in the U.S., I don't know. This is just, like, my own personal thoughts on it. Um, I don't know if it's easier to accept, like, a black president versus a biracial president. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it almost, like, like at least for, like, the white community, it might be easier to accept, like, oh, we have a black president, but he's only black. Like, the races are still separate. Right. Um, like, if you have to accept a biracial president, like, you sort of have to accept, like, a black and white person came together and had him like so you know and he's still the president <laughs> like so yeah. that's kind of crazy to think about um I don't know it's like a weird it's a weird dynamic I don't know I feel like though there's a lot of power in identifying as black as the first president of the U.S. too because it takes away from so much that like went on it takes that power back like mm-hmm. slavery reconstruction and just like giving the black community a voice you know mm-hmm. the highest office so I don't know it's like a, it's a weird dynamic I don't know what are your <laughs> thoughts on that <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I heard you saying also think about like the biracial community, and I was thinking like, is there a biracial community? I don't really. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I think that in a lot of ways, it's kind of like, I mean, this country is like very like black or white, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that um, dictates a lot of like how people identify, um, and I think you know, um, I like to leave it leave it up to him i think that it is um kind of like i said a little bit earlier but i do think it is important to like acknowledge like um just like uh, like also like colorism as a factor of like mixed identity and also um as a factor of just like um who succeeds especially in like the political in the political realm um a lot of things that i've seen from other politicians you see (laughs) Um, like the silk presses, <laughs> we see um, a lot of um, a lot of the things we were kind of talking about as like being um, white, um, and I think that like there's although that term is problematic, I think that is something just to say about like the freedom of choice. I think that like that's the big thing. If people choose to want to have a silk press, that's great. But if it's like the idea of like code switching, in my mind, is like um, the act of choice to betray like the culture like for your own personal gain versus like making the choice i want to have my hair straight because i think it's cute versus like i want to have my hair straightened so that people perceive me in a better way i don't know if you can really fully like take those two things apart but i think in my mind like what makes it like what 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 makes it like code switching versus just like making a personal choice is like that and I think that in the political sphere, um, that's definitely a big thing um, from Obama to other um, politicians that we've seen. Um, yeah, so I think that Obama uh, probably um, made the really intentional choice to identify as being black or mixed race. I mean, I think a lot of mixed race individuals choose to identify as being black over being mixed race, or if they do choose to be a mixed race, they lean more t- heavily towards being black, just because of the way society kind of forces, pushes them either directly or indirectly into that category. And I think through this that Obama was kind of just being corralled into that category a bit, and maybe kind of forced, or maybe that's where he felt more comfortable just by, because that's where he'd previously kind of been pushed into, and that's kind of what he'd been accustomed to, and how that's how he kind of viewed himself based off of discrimination. I think that that's kind of just going to, um, that a lot of, that was kind of going to happen just based off of the societal influence that he faced. Yeah, I feel like when you see Obama, you see a black man. So, like you said, it's valid to, um, to have him identify as like the first black president. But I also definitely feel like there should be recognition that he is half black. So, does this favor? like the white community um i'm not sure because then again you made the point about how like still like a white um a white parent and a black parent had to come together have him that pisses people off so um but i feel like in the future when there is a black president because like a fully black president i feel like there should be a distinction made i agree that's totally fair yeah um so now we're going to sort of talk about i guess examples of mixed representation in the media so this could be anything like books movies music like do you feel 
that this representation is accurate of like how you identify um, and have you seen any sort of shifts in representation in the last 15 years? I'll start. Um, I immediately thought of the what's called Strange World that mm-hmm. Disney is releasing. It's like brand new right now. And that's like the first, there have been like black representation in the media, but this was the first, like there was clearly the black mom and a white dad. And this protagonist is mixed in it's like distinct and i'm thinking about i don't know i thought that was really cool watching that in the trailer and like this mixed kids going on a journey with to find his like white dad and they're so cute and i think that's great and i think that definitely wasn't present like 15 years ago i think i agree in america it's either white or black but i think it's cool that disney's making this clearly biracial movie um with the media be honest i'm not really sure um i just know that um there's always been that like representation of like the white mom black dad so i i definitely know that that is changing um to have like have there be black moms white dads as well um and then one of the main things that i can think of is that one show um i think he was a basketball player football player um, it was on Netflix. I can't think of oh, it. Yeah, I don't remember the name, but yeah, I yeah, yeah. That one. He's the mixed kid, and I like how it shows like his journey and then um, like his struggles as a mixed kid that he's come to like realize that he had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, or he was. Hmm, I might have just gotten that mixed up. I or unless he was completely black. No, he was mixed, right? I think so. Yeah. Um. But but yeah. he had like a white dad. Yeah, was he adopted. He was something? adopted, so that's yeah. yeah. But um, especially when he went to go get his hair done, and get um cornrows by a black woman at her house, and just the scene with his mother was very um eye opening and important to like acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, something that I've noticed a lot in like film and television is you have a lot of characters who are supposed to be just completely black they're played by a lot of mixed race actors mm. i think this kind of feeds into the um, phenomenon of wanting to have something that's as black as possible without it actually being black mm-hmm. at least completely black so i think they put a lot of like mixed race actors to kind of like portray them as being completely black i think this is not really good for like either the mixed race or the black community because it kind of just like it's colorism first off that's mm-hmm. a bad thing and also kind of like i feel like it eliminates the like white half a lot of mixed race individuals that kind of forced them to also complete think of themselves as also completely being black so i think this is kind of just really strengthening a lot of the racial divide kind of but it's kind of more just like white standard and everything else is just not white and atypical kind of yeah i mean you said it better than i could i think that's perfect i think there are definitely a lot of mixed race Actors that are put in roles that are supposed to be just, like, um, black. Um, and I think that, and, and that also means that, like you were saying, there may be a little bit of a, of an erasure of, like, the, like, purely mixed experience. I also think me personally, as someone, like, with two dads, like, I never really see that, <laughs> um, especially, um, like, in an interracial, um, relationship. And I think that that, would be interesting. So I personally haven't really felt like super represented um, in a lot of things, but um, I think 
like I've I've always been very like conscious of like race when I watch things um and I've seen you know there there are more stories especially like mixed stories but I also think it's really important that we have more stories beyond that um like I think that representation of black people needs to span like the entire diaspora um and so like I hope that more and more like people both in front and behind the screens like mm-hmm. are having those kinds of conversations and like um, including a larger variety. No, I completely agree. I think I think this question is very tough to answer. I think it depends on how you look at it. I think like there's one specific example. So in high school, um, I don't know if a lot of you guys read it too, but The Color Purple, um, it was a book predominantly about black women um, in the South. And there was one character, her name was Squeak. She was mixed race. Um, and in the book, it was very interesting. Her portrayal, like the portrayal of a mixed race character, like she didn't identify as black exclusively, um, but sort of coming into her own, I think was really refreshing to see for a book that was written quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of just an acknowledgement of like what it means to be a mixed race. Um, the issue though that I did have was when they made the movie adaptation of the same book. Um, it was sort of weird, like the way that they portrayed her in that, like in the book, she got involved with one of the main characters' husbands. So like she was like a homewrecker, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we sort of learned more about her, her experiences, her creativity, um, and followed her journey. In the movie, it sort of just stopped portraying her as like this homewrecker. And like mm-hmm. she wasn't, so then she sort of got cast out from the black community because of that. Um, and I, I feel like, I don't know, I don't think that's really a good representation to put forth of um mixed race people when like they aren't given a platform very much in the media especially like this was i think produced in like the 80s like at that time like you weren't really seeing those voices so i think when you give someone that voice like you can't really tear them down that way you know um i think it's sort of interesting from going from that point to today i think sort of seeing sitcoms like i don't know if you guys have any guys have seen it but um it's mixed dish it was on for a while it was like one season or two seasons um but it was sort of just interesting, like, some of the struggles, like, she talked about her hair and, like, you know, having to deal with that those feelings of imposter syndrome that I think people sort of shy away from talking about um, because they're uncomfortable. And I think shows like that sort of give a voice to that and sort of counteract, like, some of the misrepresentations we saw before. Um, and so, yeah, I, like, hope to see probably more representation in the future. And like you guys said, um, mixed race people being portrayed as themselves and not really... Um, I guess being used as like tokens for like maybe the black community if they don't want to be. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry. I would just like add a little thing on the end of that. I mean, I've heard like in some ways, like <laughs> some people have said like mixed dish, um, blackish, which is like the predecessor to mm-hmm. mixed dish. Yeah. I've heard people saying like, oh, well, it's kind of mixed dish because mo- like multiple um, like people in the cast like are mixed. Mm-hmm. But I also just wanted to bring up the idea that like the umbrella term like mixed. We, we've been talking about it in, like, a black-white context, but there are, like, many other uh, types, like, types of mix. Um, and I think that, like, it's important to also have those represented in media, um, not just white-black. And then also when we think about white-black, um, blackness is, like, there's, like, the Afro-Latinx um, experience, and then there's also, like, an African experience, there's generational African-American experience. Like, there's so, so, so many different types of experiences, and I would say that, like, a lot of those individual pairings are not explored, even, like, it's just, and, um, or, like, represented. That's a very good point. There are a lot of different 
ethnicities out there. There's, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to, I feel like black white is just now being introduced into the media. So now like, like native Indian, like those are just such, I can't imagine. I don't know. I wonder how, when that will also make its way into the media. No, we got to get there. We got to get there. <laughs> so, all right. So the next question, um, almost also kind of recently with Kanye's decision to wear a white lives matter shirt. I know there's a lot going on with Kanye, but specifically, <laughs> I should talk about this. Talk about this one for um, how he, him, and some girl I don't know who it was, some other woman also wore a White Lives Matter shirt. So, just asking, how does your identity identity inform how you approach the idea? Oh, sorry. How does your identity form like how you approach the White Lives Matter campaign or the All Lives Matter campaign? Like, does your identity play a role into how you view those those issues? Let's go first. Um, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like this is sort of where I feel like I don't know because I'm like technically like half white, obviously. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it's almost like I'm not as familiar with like black culture in a way that like I feel like I can fully relate and I can speak on behalf of people like, um, who are being affected by this sort of hate speech that's going on. Um, I think, like, this obviously is just completely unacceptable. You know, obviously, yeah. like, you you can't walk around with that. Like, no. <laughs> um, but I think it's sort of tough. Like, I just don't like the way that it's framed. I don't like the fact that it takes away from a movement that's very important to a group of people that have not been represented for a long time. Like, to say that white lives matter, like, no one's saying that they don't matter, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, no one's saying that. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like they don't need a voice because they've been given a voice for forever. So I don't think um, that needs to be really publicized as much. Like there doesn't need to be a white history. Like it doesn't need to be. (laughs) So, um, and in terms of like all lives matter campaigns, I don't think you need to have a campaign for that. I think we all sort of know that all lives matter to an extent. Like we want everyone to be respected. We want everyone to be um, accepted in whatever community that they're in. But I think there still needs to be a focus on the black community specifically and Irish individuals who may choose to identify more strongly with the like Black Lives Matter movement because they don't have haven't been given a voice, so they deserve one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I mean, All Lives Matter and White Lives Matter are both horrible <laughs> in, in <laughs> my mind. And um, when you're saying like White History Month, like every single month is White History Month. Um, Black History Month is literally the shortest month of the year. Um, and even then, like bans on critical race theory, bans on like um, just like conversations, dialogue about race and the first place um, are actively being uh, restricted. So I would say that um, I definitely um, am very, I'd say I'm pretty tapped into the activism space. Um, and I think that that it's hard because I think that part of the idea of like acting black, as we were kind of talking about earlier, um, is like correlated to like how much you care about like the community and how much you care about um, or like how much like activism you do because the like because the black community like historically has like been has gone through a lot um so um but I think that like um as you think about the mixed race identity like how um like tapping into activism like 
like affects like the way that people view um like how black you are which i think is i think it's a very interesting um dynamic in terms of kanye um i think that um, we do also have to think about the people that we platform um and um like even just like feeding into any aspect of that like even just like looking up and say like okay what's kanye saying today yeah. um, like that does feed into his brand that does feed into like the algorithm it feeds into um, his music it feeds into um his pockets and like he actively does like financially also support like very harmful causes mm-hmm. um and so it's important to like also acknowledge as uh, mixed people as black people as people um like who we do support and um what that means for us yeah. Um, yeah, so funny story, um, back a while ago when I was, I believe, freshman in high school, I was the, uh, youth leader of a Boy Scout troop, and I was one time, uh, I had to give a speech, I believe it was on September 11th, like a little memorial speech, and at one point, the other Boy Scouts, I started to chant White Lives Matter over my speech, keep in mind, like, it being a majority, like, white environment. So... At moments like those, it was kind of like the moment, the final moments where I kind of started to realize, yeah, they don't see me as white and they're never really going to, no matter what I say or do to appeal them. I mean, not that I like don't feel myself as also being black, but I mean, they're not going to, they're only to see that half of my identity. And it kind of just shows that like phrases like white lives matter are not like to protect or not to like, I wouldn't say protect, but to like validate the white experience. It's more to put other people down. Mm-hmm. That's really the only way it can be seen. I feel like that's a great example to like um, really explain what's wrong with the White Lives Matter movement. Um, and I've always been very big on Black advocacy. Um, that's like what I strive off of. Um, but I don't think that me being biracial changes the way that I approach it. Um, but then again, I also just strongly identify with my Black side, so that might have to do with it. Definitely. Yeah, and I liked your point, Paul, like the White Lives Matter doesn't necessarily uplift like the Black Lives Matter. It's more to put other people down. So that's an interesting point. And the last question. Okay, so our last <laughs> question today. So this is more um, very recent, um, very big talk in the college community. Um, so we're going to talk about the Supreme Court decision that's upcoming on affirmative action in college decisions. So the decision hasn't come out yet, but... Um, knowing that it's due to come out, I think it's in the spring of the summertime. Um, how do you feel like just, I guess, like as a biracial person or someone who identifies more closely with the black community, how do you feel that affirmative action has helped shape and diversify the college campuses that we're all on um, and specifically given biracial individuals a voice? Um, and then just following that, if you have any last thoughts on where we are now in terms of representation or just having a platform for biracial individuals and what do you believe like the next steps could look like to improve this experience? Someone else want to go first. <laughs> I, want to go first. <laughs> oh, I don't know too much about. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay. So for me, um, just to speak a little bit more about the Supreme Court case in the first place, I mean, I am a very firm believer in affirmative action and the importance of it. I think, especially at selective colleges, I think giving people a voice um, helps to enrich the college environment, like getting to have conversations like this. Like you might not get to have that if you're not surrounded by people who identify the same as you, where you can find a 
um, common space. Um, so I think that's sort of just, I think it's a necessity. I really do. Like, I think grades are important. I think academics are important and everything. But I think there's so much to be had from, like, conversations like this where you talk about hard things. You talk about identity and, like, you know, things that people don't always want to talk about. And I think that's just as important as some of the other stuff that we do on college campuses. Um, and in terms of representation, I think we are a lot better off than we used to be 30 years ago or more. Like we said, with the hair products, representation in the media, you see people like Zendaya, Fred Screen winning awards. Like, that's amazing. But I think there's um, a lot longer of a way to go, too. Um, sort of, as we said, discussing different family relationships, um, like, that aren't the basic, like, maybe, like, one black dad and one white dad. Like, not, I guess, making exclusively, like, um white man white man black woman like that type of thing so I think sort of just mixing those up playing around with that giving people a voice and just other people who identify as mixed like who don't identify as black or white like maybe black and hispanic like that's still mixed race so I think giving all those people a voice like I think we need to speed that process up because it's about time so that's what I'm gonna say yeah okay so uh, I think like the supreme uh the the affirmative action case although a Maybe looking a little grim. I think it's very important that we actively um, like advocate for diversity on college campuses. Um, I think that, like, I mean, especially Harvard is a means of like social mobility that already like it was built on slave labor, mm -hmm. um, and there are so many other ways that it prof it has profited off of like the prison industrial complex like it has like profited off of black labor um in every single <laughs> in every single part of it um and i think that it is really important that diversity diversity is protected on campus um we'll say um like when i do think of like the black community on campus there is, there is a considerable like mixed population of like the black community and so like also looking um to like um just like broader outreach in terms of like um all across the diaspora um of like who is represented within college um as well um but i think that um in general um i think that they're hopefully biracial individuals will be able to have um, conversations like this and like be able to talk with each other too I feel like that's something in my personal life that I haven't um, had as much because there is such a like you're white or black but it's not necessarily like it is weird to claim the term biracial in, in a lot of ways because it's like when I hear like it, it feels like well you're not claiming your blackness if you say biracial mm -hmm. but then if you're in a black community and not like acknowledging that you're biracial then you're like not acknowledging that like you like do have like that privilege so like it's it's a very difficult thing but I hope that like we can get to a point where like people are able to like be their full selves in in every capacity and that includes like your mixed race identity mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so, and in regards to affirmative action, I think that's, of course, a very good thing, but at the same time, I'm not, affirmative action isn't, isn't, I always feel enough, because I feel like sometimes, like, when you look, especially even, like, at, like, when it says, the, like, the amount of black people who go to Harvard, the numbers, the percentages, all that, 
I don't feel like all like different like kinds of there are a lot of different kinds of black people. I don't feel like they're all like portrayed like equally or proportionally as they should be in like Harvard's racial makeup. And I feel like we, when we look at the front of action, we re- even for like all like categories when it comes to like race and history and all that, we have to like make sure that we're helping all different kinds of subcategories in those groups make sure that the representation the representation is fair and not kind of a blanket or a band-aid over the over a larger issue. That at least really make sure that it's helping everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, black is just so broad and like, you know, beautiful. We love our people. But and then like there are like so many like subcategories underneath being black and then touching on what you said as well. Um, which you said as well, there's like the um, two black parents, there's the black dad, white mom, black mom, white dad, black dad, white dad. And so it just keeps going on. And I feel like that definitely makes for your experience growing up. And um, it's, yeah, um, front of action and being able to voice like your experience with that is definitely very important. Cool, but yeah. Good. Um, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, those are all the questions we have, unless you guys have anything else to add. Um, thank you so much for participating in this. Um, you helped us out a lot. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>